What? Humbug is this? Mark me, Ebenezer Scrooge, for I am the ghost of product's future. And why have you come here this night? To show you the products you will create if you don't listen to your market and solve for market problems. What kind of insane products are these? The kind your company's inside-out approach will produce if you fail to heed my warning. Briefcases for dogs? A ventilated umbrella with extra-large holes? An app only for scheduling past dental appointments? Madness! Who needs this stuff? Exactly. These are the kinds of products you will continue to make in the future if you do not mend your ways and solve real market problems. Oh, ghost of product's future, please tell me what I must do to avoid such a disastrous fate. To change your future, you must attend a Pragmatic Institute course in the present. Shall I take the courses online or in person? It matters not the format. Whichever is most convenient for you. The education and instructors are the same, and you shall receive the knowledge you require to avoid a future that includes... Goggles for Goldfish! No! Visit PragmaticInstitute.com to learn more. Hello, and welcome to the Pragmatic Live podcast. I am your host today, Kelly LaPointe, the Content Marketing Specialist for Pragmatic Institute, and I am here at the O'Reilly AI Conference with Roger Magoulis, the VP of Radar at O'Reilly. Welcome to the show. Thanks. So why don't you start by telling us a little bit about your background and your role at O'Reilly? Sure. I have a kind of a confluence of have some business academics and business experience and programming experience, and in the 90s I found we call data warehousing, uh, a great combination of the two things. Mm -hmm. And as I started doing that, and I was in the Bay Area, I started getting interested in how you could do that in an open source way. And open source usually leads you to O'Reilly. And then I ended up working there, and I was given a very uh, long leash on the kind of analytics I could do. And so we started doing all sorts of interesting stuff. At least I felt it was kind of interesting on what was going on in technology adoption. And that's what kind of is what we call radar, the function that I, I run now at O'Reilly. Very cool. So tell us a little bit about the AI conference that we're at right now. Um, what is What was the, the driving force behind it? You know, we started a data conference. So Ben Lorca and I, who's the chair of this, wrote a big data paper in 2008 that came out in early 2009 that basically said something is going on that's interesting. And it was bringing together both data engineering, what used to be data warehousing, a lot more distributed, but a lot more sophisticated analytics, is that we're getting uh, data on behavior that you can then kind of figure things out in a way that you couldn't before. So we started the Strata conference, and because of the how hot um, Hadoop was at the time, it turned into Strata plus Hadoop world, that there was a focus on that side. But we realized that there was another focus that was really important on we'll start saying it was ML, machine learning at first. But you know, people are starting to call it more and more AI. And that while the two sides need each other and there's some integration, that there was a reason to um, separate them out. But they're really very closely related uh, to each other. And um, it's been great fun. You know, I think everyone in the programming space has some interest, particularly after the success of neural network deep learning stuff to like at least get some introduction to it and understand how it all works. 
so we find that we're getting lots of people who care about the space. But over the last two years, going into production with this has become a real challenge. And so I think we're seeing this as a, a focus. So uh, I imagine there'll be uh, twists and turns on how we decide to uh, present these things. Mm -hmm. But um, How has it been a challenge for the last two years? Oh, I think moving into production, uh, people who are doing analytics are not used to production environments, right? What they're used to is running analytics for themselves. If something doesn't work, who cares? Because just run it again. And, um, you know, they need to uh, package it up and stuff. Now you're starting to integrate it into your applications and your digital presence. Mm -hmm. Well, that means you've got things like DevOps and um, uh, constant deployment and models getting stale and things that are, in a way, new topics. I mean, they're not new like you couldn't predict them, but they're new on how do you handle them. And I think that there's a lot of cultural learning that will take place across all organizations in, in trying to get things more production-like and getting the real value out of AI. So at this conference, what are you seeing as the most um, popular topics that you're, that you um, do? There are a lot of great training sessions going on the first two days and a lot of great uh, sessions. What are some of the big hot topics for, for this conference? Yeah, as you can imagine, TensorFlow, PyTorch as tools are, um, are important topics. Reinforcement learning and generative work like um, GADs, uh, what are called generative adversarial networks, GANs. Um, so those, all those things, as far as like kind of the tool side, moving into production is something that uh, people um, care about. And I think people are looking for use cases and looking for kind of inspiration on mm -hmm. um, what, what works that maybe they haven't thought about. You know, this is a pretty nascent area, mm -hmm. and I think how you apply it is something people need to learn. So I think at this conference, the, um, the chairs tried to bring in a kind of a wide swath of topics so that people could get what they need out of um, uh, the people who are working on this topic directly. So who is this conference for, really? What, what are the kinds of backgrounds, job titles, experience levels that this conference is for? Yeah, one, there aren't that many people who have a lot of experience in this topic except for academics who right. Right, have been <laughs> using it for uh, a long time. Uh, we really expect lots of different types. Now, the main focus is data scientists. And I think that people who do deep learning and neural networks and stuff are still called data scientists. They don't have a different title, but some companies they do. Um, but that would probably be like the, the biggest single cohort, but there's really lots of uh, adjacent cohorts. So there are just programmer types who are trying to figure out, can this work for me? Mm -hmm. There's business people who are trying to figure out what the fit is and, and what might work. If you think about trying to make a decision about whether to invest in AI, where, where do you learn how to do that? Right. There isn't a place, you didn't go to school to learn that because no one... Yeah, as far as I know, there aren't any classes in it. That's currently. right. <laughs> so so we, we get a lot of people who are just trying to figure out the space mm -hmm. and, and make some better sense of it and how to make decisions. I mean, these are important decisions. And when people don't have the kind of um, background, they need to get it somehow. And this right. is a great, you know, this is a great way to do that. You know, at O'Reilly, we have like three major product lines. We've got books, and that's kind of the intellectual uh, might of the company. We know a lot about a lot of topics. Right. We have the platform, it's kind of frictionless access to that content, mm -hmm. but the conferences are social learning. And social learning, and you can ask anyone who teaches that online is great, but bringing people together brings a whole other level to how much people learn. So just being in an environment where you can get together with other people who are dealing with the same things you are mm -hmm. is really 
uh, a nice augment to help people learn. I think that's why we get such a wide swath of people here. And is that one of the big um, driving forces why O'Reilly does these kinds of conferences and the number of conferences that you do each year? Yeah, and it, it kind of grew organically. You know, what we're really great at is convening a really interesting crowd of people who are around a topic. And as we started doing that around Perl and open source and stuff like that, we realized we were pretty good at it and could do it around the other topics that as seemed to be nascent at different times. So things around like Velocity, which is around ops and infrastructure, Strata, uh, Fluent, when JavaScript was starting to make a kind of a, a rise to be in such a prominent language and so forth. So I think it is something that uh, one of the ways that we exercise our great social network is that we're, we put on these kind of events and, and try to share the um, people, let other people share what, they, what they've been learning on the topic. What would surprise people who have never been to an O'Reilly conference? Maybe it would be super surprising, but just how informal and open people are. I mean, what you'll find is, because we, as an O'Reilly employee, I want to talk to people and find out why they're here and what they found interesting and stuff. People are just, they're really willing to share. And, and I don't know, I mean, we're here in San Jose, I mean, it's a West Coast thing, but we, you know, we run one of these in New York and we get kind of the same thing going on. Right. But there isn't that kind of like, well, this is proprietary and I can't tell you about <laughs> it thing going on. And so I think that kind of openness to people saying what works for them and what doesn't is somewhat surprising because it's not kind of the traditional mm -hmm. keep everything closed in, you know, kind of the open source that O'Reilly is famous for right. uh, supporting. It comes out in the way people behave. So you've got some big names um, in the conference. You've got instructors from our own data incubator, um, as well as um, you know, Google and Facebook and Uber. And how do you um, get all of these great people to share their time and their knowledge? Yeah, so this is part of that. We have a great social network. Mm -hmm. And O'Reilly is a private company. We do a lot of things just to, because they're great things to do. And so with the community that we know, we try to help people out as much as we can. We give them an opportunity to spread the knowledge they have. That's our, our tagline is uh, spreading the knowledge of innovators. And we try to have the, you know, the better books on the topics that we cover and better conferences. And I think people like to be associated with that. So we reject, I think it's like an eight to one ratio of wow. the proposals we get. So people want to be here mm -hmm. and we take a really strong editorial first stance at it. So you've right. got to do a good proposal and it's got to be, you've got to have takeaways and it can't be too much how great my product is. Mm -hmm. It's more people uh, learning. But we stay in contact with, so in my job, I'm always meeting with other people at other companies. We try to discuss what they're finding interesting. We share what we're seeing in our data. Mm -hmm. So we've got this great learning platform that we do analytics on. So Very we can cool. say what's getting uh, traction mm -hmm. in different spaces. And that's, you know, of course, a lot of companies find that pretty interesting because it's a, we have kind of an enterprise audience on the platform. And, uh, you know, they're, they're not doing this to prove a point. Yeah. This is just what they're trying to do. And uh, so we're able to share that. So I think there's a lot of reciprocity going on. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think people are happy to be here because it's a relatively prestigious place to be. What are some of the most memorable proposals that you've seen from, from companies? Are there any that stick out in your memory? There isn't, but I, I will talk about a keynote. We had Andrew Eng gave one mm -hmm. uh, in, in San Francisco where he asked for three whiteboards 
and oh. gave an extremely <laughs> enjoyable, funny, insightful lecture really? on yeah. what works and what doesn't and from his perspective mm -hmm. in the AI space. And it was so, I don't know what the right word is, but being on a whiteboard and the way he's got a great sense of humor mm -hmm. uh, and in a self-deprecating kind of way, it was really, uh, really fun to see. I'm pretty sure you can just see that online. I think it was maybe from two years ago. Okay. So I don't know if the proposal would have said that it was, uh, you know, it was going to be such so memorable, but uh, it, it was memorable and a lot of fun. So for anybody who hasn't been to an O'Reilly conference, what would you tell them about um, considering it in the future? Yeah, I would say you should come for the usual reasons you come to a conference. You're gonna get great access to learning uh, and that's really good. You're gonna have great access to the hallway part of the conference. You're gonna meet other people. And really, I don't think there's anything better from learning like kind of the profound things than finding someone who's a peer at another company who you're connecting with and you're finding out stuff that they've learned and you're sharing what you've learned in that kind of deep way. And so expect that to be as much about the event as going to the uh, sessions and let it kind of fall over, you know, try to get some variety of things. Don't just go to the things that you are most interested in learning, but maybe check out a couple of things you don't really know. Because what you might find is that there's something adjacent to your area that ends up being really valuable. And that's one of the reasons we have a wide range of topics at these things, so you can pick up these, these other things. Uh, the other thing is, it's almost like what people say about meditation, um, is that this is a chance for you to get away from your day to day. So if you can clear your mind and like kind of relax, you're just gonna pick up from the ambience right. a lot of stuff. And you're gonna be able to process it in a way that's different than if you listen to a double time podcast or you quickly read something online that you'll get this kind of great, um, it just feels more insightful when you've really let yourself uh, get into the flow of the conference. So are there any great stories from um, conferences past that always um, stick in your mind or, or that you can share with us? Yeah, we, ha we had a very memorable uh, talk by um, uh, Bob Mankoff is the cartoon editor for The New Yorker. He was at the time. He's okay. re he since retired. He's hilarious. But he became a cartoonist after being a experimental psychologist. And as he was at The New Yorker, he started that cartoon contest. Right. And he uh, started doing analytics on the people who answered those things. <laughs> so here's a guy who's a cartoonist whose most famous cartoon is a guy on a phone behind a desk saying, Thursday won't work? How about never? Does never work? <laughs> and uh, um, he brought data science and comedy together in this kind of great way. You know, it was a sincerely great session. It was on topic, but it was also super entertaining. And just as a side thing, I've gotten friendly with Bob. He's a great guy. Um, he was stuck in traffic getting there and he was running late. Oh, no. And what he told me 
he said, you know, when I was running late and I thought I might be too late for the talk, I said, well, I hope I die in a car crash so then you'll feel sorry for me instead of being mad at me. <laughs> <laughs> but, but it all worked out. Um, that sounds like a, a really fun and fascinating uh, panel to listen to. Yeah, yeah. No, he was uh, great. And we've had other uh, great talks. That's a, a particularly memorable one. And he, was great. he hung around the conference for a while and was just, just a great sport um, about it all. But we do try to get interesting speakers who are kind of adjacent. Just as a, a guy sometimes we have speak at our conferences is a skateboarder named Rodney Mullen. Um, if you know anything about street skating and stuff, he was the best in the world and invented stuff. And he gives talks about uh, learning from failure that end up resonating with software people. And so we like to bring in that kind of outside thing. And he's, Rodney is a fantastic speaker. And um, he, you know, you can just see a room just focusing in on him because he's, he's very em empathetic and um, he's very articulate about what he's talking about. So these kinds of events um, bring a wide variety of people together. Um, what are some of the challenges when you have so many different people coming together and so many different topics um, with these kinds of conferences? If there's one thing is that this around expectations of people is I'm going to miss something. Well, the good news is, is that you can buy a pass to get a video of every session. So you can get that. And I think the other thing is if you've ever traveled to a foreign city and you're like, I got my guidebook. I'm going to go to all, you know, every spot here. And then you're not on vacation. You're running around. Is that I think there's a kind of a thing where you're, oh man, I got to go to this. I got to go to that. Huh, they're at the same time. What do I do? Is that, again, you, you're only going to be able to take in so much for humans. We've got a you know, kind of cognitive load capacity. Right. Is that, is to kind of relax and, and learn what you can. And I think if you talk to a young traveler versus an older traveler, what a more experienced traveler likely to tell you is, I'm going to go to a few places, but what I'm also going to do is I'm going to be on vacation and I'm going to go to a coffee shop and relax and I'm going to take a walk after dinner. I'm not going to spend all my time being a tourist. So in these kind of things, it's good to get a lot of in. And if you're the kind of person who listens to double speed podcasts and stuff, and maybe you can take a lot of that, but if you kind of like relax through it. So from that perspective, you know, as a, an attendee, um, knowing that you can't do it all, but that you'll get a lot out of it no matter you know, what, what you're, you're doing yeah. would probably be the biggest challenge. The other thing is that some things are going to overwhelm you and it doesn't matter who you are. There's going to be someone here who's smarter in some particular vector of knowledge than you are. And that person is going to think someone else is smarter in some other vector of what's going on. Take what you, you can out of it. If something's over your head, that's a good sign that maybe it's something you might want to pay attention to when you get back to your desk or exactly. when you have some free time that, Oh, wow, I thought I knew linear algebra, but I didn't know this part about it. I need to go back and, and look that stuff up. Very cool. So any last um, comments about the conferences? Any last um, thoughts you'd like to share? Sure. I, I think, I know that conferences sometimes can be an ask. Companies are always going to be careful about budgets and stuff like that. But I really think, particularly because the growth of online, and we offer online learning. So, I mean, we totally support online learning. I know you guys do too. Right, yeah. uh, so we think it's an important part, but getting together socially just can't be beat. 
and particularly getting access to peers that you can learn from who are in other organizations, it's sometimes hard to get that. I mean, there's some cities with great meetup cultures, but a lot of cities don't have that great meetup culture. Sure. And so this is a way to get access to that. And you know, my personal thing, and we use this kind of informally, but a conference should be a time for you to get your mind blown. Yeah. And then from that, get inspired to figure out the kind of things that you should be working on or how you can maybe get better at what you're doing or whatever. And that it's great for doing that and that you're really missing out if you don't go. And it's not just a boondoggle to San Jose. And when I don't know if San Jose is really a boondoggle kind of a place, <laughs> um, but that there really is something to hanging out with a bunch of people who have similar interests. It's a good analytics story. And during World War II, there were some Columbia mathematicians who volunteered to help. They were too old to fight. And they said, if you've got problems, we can try to do some analysis and help. And one of the problems is that the US was losing a lot of bombers. And they were trying to figure out what they could do to try to save the bombers. And so they gave, uh, I forget the guy's name, but they gave this mathematician uh, where the planes were being hit by bullets and stuff. And so imagine that the, the, what it showed was that the uh, bullet holes were uh, near the wings and all over the fuselage, but not really at the engine and not so much at the tail, like that kind of thing. And he said, okay, the place you need the armor are those places where there were no bullet holes. And they were like, what do you mean? Why wouldn't we, all the bullet holes are showing where we should probably armor. He said, no, these are the planes that came back. The planes you lost probably got hit in those places, but you, the planes can take those areas. So getting that kind of different perspective, like asking the right question, right, is a, is a really important part. And I think that's what you get when you go to like a conference and go talk to other people is you hear a story like that. There's another great story I just read uh, this week where a mathematician in France knew this woman whose name is Jean Calumet, and maybe you'll know the end of the story, who had an apartment in Arles that he wanted to get. And he said, look, I'm going to pay you some amount of money a month, but when you die, I get to inherit your apartment. And she's the woman who's lived the longest in history. So she lived to be 121. And uh, he died long before she did. <laughs> so I never got the apartment. So I just show you know, like, this is another analytic story is that in aggregate, he made the right decision. At the time in France, women lived to be about 80. But in the particular, he happened to pick the most extreme outlier he could pick <laughs> uh, to get that in. So. Well, thank you very much for being on our show, Roger. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast so that you never miss another great episode. And we will be back next week with another great topic. Thank you. <laughs>